Check, check, check. Yeah, I can hear myself. Are we good? We're rolling? All right, good. So this is episode three of the Scott Kaplan solo podcast. And I always like to do things completely on natural, even like shooting videos for websites and stuff. I like to see all the behind the scenes stuff. I don't need any of this three, two, one and turn on the broadcast voice. So I got Alex Padilla here, producer of the Scott and BR show. And we're going to call our guest today, Sid Rosenberg, in just a minute. Uh, And the reason I wanted to do this, Alex, is because every time we have Sid on the radio show, first of all, he brings a lot of reaction, right? I mean, the kid, whatever, whatever he says... People go nuts because he's he's hilarious, but in a podcast, uncensored. Yeah, you know, say what you want to say. Cuss. Yeah, if he talks like Andrew Dice Clay because he's on the streets in New York in his underwear, right? Do it. Say no, it. No, absolutely. Let it get, let it go. Yeah. So um, so Sydney's going to come on because people keep asking me um, in the radio audience and the ten ninety audience, what's the deal between you guys? Like, what's your story? Because we're kind of hinting at all this time we spent together. Mm-hmm. And there's these guys, this group of, of guys up in the Inland Empire, you know, not too far from here, right? You yeah. Know? No, it's and, not far. And uh, Sid, and I, Sid and I used to be on the radio up there. Mm. So we were syndicated. and in we the thought, Inland Empire? Yeah, dude. We thought we were cool. We were like, yeah, dude, we're on in L.A. That's right. From where? Florida. From Florida? Yeah. So we're like, yeah, we're on in L.A. We got an L.A. affiliate. And we didn't have an L.A. affiliate. We had an right. Inland Empire affiliate. Right. They, they were like the home of the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. <laughs> <laughs> Rancho Chocamonga. Seriously. That's what they were. Yeah. And, and we, we were doing this. We, we were trying to kind of emulate Jim Rome. And this mm-hmm. is like the mid, no, it's like the late 90s, like 99. And we're doing tour stops, you know. And, right. and Jim's going to like major cities. And we're going on to like, like Appleton, Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, uh, little towns in, in Maine. Um, and uh, and we came out here to L.A., you know, Inland Empire. Inland Empire. Yeah. And they took us to uh, the drag racing track. I want to say Pomona. Mm-hmm. And um, it was like all these drag racers, and they put us in, in these cars, and they're like, on the track right now. And the show was called The Drive with Scott yeah. and Sid. This was like, that was the original show, were The Drive. Drive Time? We were, and that was yeah. the first The Drive, right? Yeah. So, plus I was a huge fan of the Elway Drive against Cleveland. Yeah. So, um so Sid and I are in like these Trans Ams in Pomona, you know, and, and they're like from the Scott and Sid show or whatever it's called. This, you know, and, and and people are like, yeah, dude, I listen to those guys every yeah. day because because Rome was being syndicated and we were being syndicated, but we were kind of fighting our way up. Almost so were you on? The- were you on live? Yeah, we were on live. And so, what time were you on in Florida? What time were you on? In- so you were uh, you on three to six over no, there? No, I would say we were on probably. Uh, oh, maybe we were. Maybe we were on. In, so you were on like noon to three. Yeah, and so what Rome would Rome would go from like nine to one at that yeah. time or something. And so we would split. Like we had a really good thing going in Kansas City. Believe it or not, that's how I know those Kansas City guys. Yeah, that we talked to on the radio. So let's do this. Let's call Sid because I'd like to spend a little bit of time with him. Like I said, off air, people ask me all the time about like what's the deal. And the reason I brought up Rancho Cucamonga, Alex, is because there's a group of guys up there that knew that show back in the late '90s. You know, that are 20 years later still sports radio listeners. And when they hear Sid come on the radio, they freak out. Because they're like, dude, we knew that show way back when. All right, so here we go. Hey, hello. Sydney, we are already live on the podcast. Already? Yeah. Let me walk outside the building for one second so we get a better better reception. Um, well, it's nice to be on the podcast, Scotty. How are you, pal? I'm great. I was telling everybody that this is the the more uncensored version. Everybody loves you on the radio show. Say what you right. want. Talk how you want. Feel free. And I was just telling Alex Padilla that, um, do you remember back when 
I would say it was probably 99. We thought we were cool. We thought we had a an L.A. affiliate. And what we really had was an Inland Empire Rancho Cucamonga affiliate. So so we, we were affiliated with the Dodger station. We were affiliated with the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes. And how we came out here and we did the drag racing. Do you remember all that? I remember all of it. And listen, I don't live out in California, Scotty. You do. So to me, we were still in L.A. But I know it was really uh, Ontario, California. I yeah. remember doing the show from a Dave and Buster's right. uh, for a couple of days with you. I remember a couple of psycho fans that were like stalking us at the uh, hotel downstairs. And I do remember the um, I do remember the, uh, the 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 NHRA stuff. In fact, I remember at the time, Scotty, that this guy John Force, right, John Force, was a force. Yeah, and uh, we, we had the chance to meet him, and we stood by the the finish line, and the cars took off or by the starting line, right. And the fucking sound from the car <laughs> nearly threw us both to our feet. It was nuts. Yeah. And I remember. I also remember. I guess I remember a lot. I also remember on that trip, Scotty, doing the show live from there. The former great LA Dodger catcher Steve Yeager told us he got married to a Jewish girl at forty and got a bris at the age of forty years old. So I guess I do remember a lot of it. Right. Steve Yeager was circumcised at forty years old because he married a Jewish chick. Sure. That's right. That's right. And he said that, you know, don't forget, Steve Yeager was the guy that took uh, all of these splinters from a bat in his neck. That's why you see catchers today wear that protective guard to make sure their necks are protected. And it was incredibly painful. And he said he thought that was the worst pain of his life until at 40 years old they cut my fucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got news for you, dude. That, was, that, that interview happened 20 years ago. If he's still married to that same chick, I guarantee you the pain in his dick is nothing compared to the marriage he's had with this woman. Uh, listen, you you would know, and me too, by the way. I'm going on 26 years this year, but uh, thank God, you know, things things are going okay. But you're right. Uh, in most cases, uh, the, the physical pain goes away a lot quicker than the mental anguish. Yeah. <laughs> Sid, um, so just to get started on this podcast, Alex is going to play something for you. Give me your opinion on this. I have a listener okay. on the radio. His name is Alvaro Hokobo. And I love oh, the- Jewish. Yeah, right. oh, very, very nice Jewish kid, right. And I and I love his name because I like to say it like Scarface, you know, Alvaro Cobo. You got to roll the R, too, like Alvaro. Alvaro Cobo. Roll that R, baby. Roll that R like Stephen Bauer all fucking coked up in uh, Scarface. Alvaro Cobo. Very nice. Alex, how do you say it? You speak <laughs> Spanish. Well, I say uh, Alvaro Jacobo. Alvaro Jacobo. Oh, he says it good. Yeah. Right. Oh, my God, Alex, that was very sexy. Yeah. I yeah. always like it when uh, when you're watching news and, like, the uh, Hispanic Latina, uh, you know, newscaster, she then gives a Spanish name, and she goes just for two names, front and, and back, you know. She gives you the, the name. Yeah. in So just like that, you would say. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's like a a pride thing for like Latin people or Hispanic people. Cause when I see a Mexican or like some sort of name, I have to say it the right way. Oh, you do. Yeah. Well, so if you, you know, saw you know, that guys is that the yeah. Yankees for a long time, they may they may still do. I don't even know, but, uh, Roberto Clemente's son, who's a very popular uh, sports guy up here. He does the Yankee games. So here you have like John Sterling saying some Latin name about his Brooklyn or his New York, as you can say it. And then here comes Clemente jr. Like Alex, he would roll those R's and, all of a sudden, Edgardo will become Edgardo, and Perez will be Perez. It was just, it's just some, the difference between the two was absolutely astonishing. <laughs> well, yours really didn't do much for us. I got to be honest with you. you, you <laughs> seriously, that was horrible. Uh, my man, Sydney, let me let me play for you Alvaro Cobo's rap. He wants this to be the introductory song to the Scott uh, Scott Kaplan solo podcast. All righty, um, take a listen to this. Tell me what you think.
Reminds me of like the battle scene in Eight Mile, which I really like. Scott Kaplan, the name that makes it happen. No further introduction to the man that's worth tracking. City's clapping for his relentless backing. A vast against the former team that just went packing. While they're slacking, another host are lacking. He tells it like it is on issues that nobody's tackling. While he's racking, the ones who keep on grappling. The listeners, some followers who get it, keep on stacking. Great friend, and the type to set a trend. President to see where haters with the men, there's no pretend. 17 years, he along with Pierce. Entertaining Southern Kelly back by popular demand. Intense for the listeners to resonate To the hottest topics of the day, check the resume While some local leaders seem to lack the unity My man uses his voice to do what's best for the community Westwood One, catch him on the sidelines Reporting live, what we later see in highlights No holds barred, just like on his timeline Sun filter podcast, no need to follow guidelines Meet any criteria, dropping bombs like Syria Touching down, all around, connected like Expedia Coming to your speakers live from the city, yo Bestie, welcome to the Scott Kaplan Media so Sydney, what do you think about that? Like dropping bombs like in Syria, dog. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the lyrics. Um, I, I, you know, listen, I, I got to be honest with you guys, okay? Uh, first of all, I don't think Kendrick Lamar has anything to worry about, but on a serious <laughs> note, I, uh, listen, I'm as, I'm as white and Jewish as they come. I'm all about classic rock. I, I can't stand hip-hop. I can't stand rap. I don't understand why it's become such a huge sensation in this country, and I get it. Everybody's theme song is a rap song or a hip-hop song. Everybody who comes to the plate wants to hear that before they get to their at-bat, and every basketball player wants to hear that in their, in their earphones before the game, but I hate it. So I, I'm the wrong guy to really ask because it may be a good hip-hop song, but, um, and, I, and I guess the lyrics are pretty good. But for me, just for me, Scotty, I like a little Neil Diamond. I understand. Like Barry Manilow. I understand. Maybe Listen, some weekend in New England. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. But but here's the good news for me: as long as you hate it, I yeah. know I love it. Oh, good. Yeah. I right. Hate it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sid. Listen. Yes. You being well, I don't on. Want that, well, I don't want that kid to be mad at me. I mean, he's obviously very, very good. He's a talented guy. The lyrics are great. It's just. Well, 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 Alvaro, whatever his name is, it's very, very good. Just not my type of music. All right. Well, that's fine. Like I said, I, I've I've kind of gone rogue all of a sudden where I like going against whatever my friends tell me they like or don't like. I just feel like something's going on in my universe right now where I need to do that. So, Well, because here's what's going on, man. I mean, you see, I have gotten to the point, Scotty, I turned 50 in April this year. And listen, I know I joke around with you and on the show with Scott, with Scott, with Billy Ray, I should say, Linda, all the time about all the shit that I do because I'm a, I'm a psycho and trying to stay young and, you know, doing the steroids and working out, which I'll do tonight and going to the tanning salon. So I'm a bit of a hypocrite when I say this, but even though I do all that stuff because I'm vain and insecure, I'm okay getting old, man. It's like I don't need to listen to the hot songs from today. I don't need to watch all the hot stuff. I don't need to know all that stuff. Like, like a lot of my buddies are like, like you, like they're just, they're just railing against everything. And, you know, fuck a man. If you're 50, you like that. I don't like it. And I'm going to like the shit that 35-year-olds like. And, like, for me, it's like, I don't care, man. You know, I, I just, I just, I'm going to be 51 years old this year. No matter what I do, nothing's going to stop that from happening unless I die, of course. <laughs> and I'm okay with it, bro. I'm okay with it. Fine. You're okay with what? With getting older and, and not having to, you know, to like everything that, or dislike everything uh, that my, my friends like, like you said, because all my friends are about my age, and they, they, they try so hard not to be old. You know, like, I work with Bernard, 
He's going to be 63 years old or 62 years old. And, you know, he's like, he likes all the, the hot songs. From I'm like, no, you don't. Of course you don't. Come on, stop it. You got Crosby, Stills, and Nash on your phone. Who are you kidding? You know what I mean? So just, just be comfortable with it, man. You're getting older. You're in your 50s or your 60s. You got to be close to 50, Scotty. And just accept it, bro. That's it. You're done. Well, it's over. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not even anywhere near 50, just so you know. Is that right? I'm not even anywhere near 50. How old are you? I'm a millennial. I'm a millennial is what I am. You're 27? That's right. (laughs) Hey, listen. I own Bitcoin, motherfucker, okay? I'm fucking millennial, okay? (laughs) That's a big deal. That's a big deal. I I wish I did. Sid, listen. Let me spend a few minutes with you because, again, I, this, this will not be your, your only appearance ever on this podcast. I think that, you know, when, when Dick Emberg died recently, and I've talked a lot about yeah. this at, at the beginning of this podcast, it kind of I, I always felt like Dick was doing smart things to, to catalog his library of shit that he had done. And, um, you know, he'd written books. He has tapes and tapes and tapes from his old days. He he gave me a, a depth chart that he had from a Pitt Notre Dame game in 1991, and he was cleaning out a closet. and He goes, "Oh my God, I called a game that Scott played in." He called me, "Come over, I have this gift for you," and he had signed it for me. And so it's like, oh, cool. I mean, it's like I have these archival things from him. And when people ask me when you get off the radio show, tell me more about the history of you and this guy Sydney. There's a group of listeners that listen up in Ontario, California. They all remember 20 years ago. But there's a lot of listeners today that are like, I kind of want to hear more about this. So I thought today we could talk a little bit about the history that we sometimes reference on the radio. Let's do it. You know, quickly, too, you know, talking about uh, Dick Gemberg. I, uh, I had Joe Theismann on my show here a couple of days ago. Uh, we'll get to the, uh, the Scott and Sid history, which I love to talk about, by the way. But uh, Theismann, I don't know if you know this or not, you probably do, but after the Alabama and um, who did they beat for the national championship? Um, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won the national championship, and Joe Theismann was very outspoken, Scotty, the next day, that he loved seeing President Donald Trump on the sideline. And, you know, Trump took a lot of abuse because if you watched uh, closely, he, uh, he was trying to sing the national anthem, and he didn't exactly get it right. <laughs> and you would think the president would know that. But, you know, Theismann was saying, hey, listen, it was cool to see him there with the color guard, and he's our guy, and he's doing a great job. And, Theismann is a very, very pro-Trump guy. But the point of the story is that way back when, you may remember, in Super Bowl 17, Theismann's first Super Bowl when the Redskins beat the Miami Dolphins. You were probably living in South Florida at that time, Scotty. That big game for John Riggins and the one, the one before, by the way, when he lost to Marcus Allen and the Raiders. Mm-hmm. That first game he did in Pasadena, California, when he beat the Miami Dolphins, the, uh, the, broadcast, the broadcast crew, I should say, was Dick Enberg and Merlin Olsen. So even he brought up the fact that my first Super Bowl, he was on the field, obviously, but he remembered that his first Super Bowl against the Dolphins, it was the late, great Dick Enberg on the call. Yep, and and he, you know, Sid, I, I know that over the course of the last uh, 18 years, since you and I have, you know, split up on the radio, I mean, I know you've had a lot of great relationships with interesting people. Dick Enberg, for me, who I was really close to, and I when I say close, I don't mean like tonight I was just going to stop by his house and go, hey, Dick, what are you doing? But right, right. I had a really interesting relationship with him. And right. and even now, you know, his wife has asked me to pick up the torch. You know, Dick was starting to mentor his son who decided late in life he wanted to get into sports broadcasting and was really working the minor league circuit. 
And his wife said to me, you know, will you pick it up and, and work with him the way Dick was? So, I mean, wow. that's, that's the kind wow. of relationship. And so, again, I just thought that it would be kind of fun to go back. So here's where I thought I could start today, though, Sid, being this will, be the, this will be one story and we'll call it quits because we'll tell story after story after story, okay? Are you going to start with our Dick Enberg story? Because your fans may not know this, but there was a uh, Dick Enberg, Mullen Olsen, Scott and Sid moment when, in fact, Scott and Sid actually called two story a big-time preseason football game locally here in New York on CBS between the Jets and the Giants. Um, I wasn't going to talk about that. Is that what you want to talk about? <laughs> no, but that was that was one of the highlights of our we had we had a blast that time. That was great. It was amazing. We had a chance to beat out uh, Daryl Johnson and um, and Craig Boberjack as he ate the final scoop for <laughs> CBS doing NFL football. But go ahead, what do you want to start? Let's do this. Uh, I, I thought we could start here. Listen, you've written a lot of things. You know, you have a book that that kind of goes deep into your life and things that have happened in your life. And, you know, we've all got a past and anybody can Google what they want to and find out whatever they want about anybody. And my past has some stuff in it, too, that I'm, I wish I had the, uh, the, the know-how to get some search engine optimization company to bury the, the stories <laughs> about me. Yeah. I'm sure you'd like to have the same thing. Sure. Um, but, but I thought, being that I've been in San Diego now going on my 17th year, I got here in 2001. You and I kind of split up in um, late 2000. And... and I've been out here ever since, and you've obviously gone back and forth between New York and South Florida and, and had tremendous ups and downs. I thought we could start our storytelling here in San Diego. Do you, do you remember our experience in San Diego, and it has to be, what, 1998? Well, yeah, of course. That was, um, you know, you had done a couple of Super Bowls on the road. I think the year before... Uh, 1997. I'm not even sure you and I were working together at that point. It may have been with, with Josh Grant, but maybe it was the very beginning of our career together. But you had gone to New Orleans, I believe. I want to say that was the case for a Patriot Packers Super Bowl. Right. I think Allison Turner went up with Favre and Bledsoe. So anyway, uh, I had not. I had never gone to a, a Super Bowl. Never right. covered a Super Bowl. By the way, just so you know, that that Super Bowl in '97 in New Orleans, we were working for Sportsline. And uh, we were doing a lot of really cool, innovative video features on the Internet back then, which was completely, you know, I mean, this was new wave technology stuff here, you know. And we had all these great celebrities, Jerry Rice and Joe Montana and Joe Namath and all these guys that were providing content to us. And we got very much to be in the middle of that. And the only thing, the only reason I even knew anything about what I was doing was because the year before I had gone to the Super Bowl in Phoenix as Hank Goldberg's producer. So then I had like a little tiny bit of experience. Then I went to New Orleans, had a little bit more. And then the following year, you and I went to San Diego together, and I thought I knew what was going on. And Radio Row back then was nothing. Yeah, nothing like it is today. But but you did know what was going on. I mean, uh, you know, I, to your credit, you know, you, you're great with that stuff. You're, you're a great people person. You're a great interviewer. And you were terrific in 97. In 98, you and I went to San Diego, and that was the, uh, the Denver Bronco Green Bay Packers Super Bowl. It was uh, Brett Favre uh, taking on John Elway. Elway, of course, won that year, won the following year again down in South Miami with you and I, with the Atlanta Falcons. But this was a 10-day uh, trip. You know, I never left my wife back then. I was married in 1992, so I was about six years into my marriage, Scotty, and I had never left my wife for that long when I was with her. Now, you know, you know, you know don't forget that in uh, 95, of course, I had my first rehab stint after being married in 92, so I was away from her for about 30 days, but... Once we, we got back together in, in 1995, by the time 1998 rolls along, six years later, I was never away for that long. And here comes a 10-day trip with my boy, Scott Kaplan, to San Diego. 
to cover the um, to cover the Packers and the Broncos. And and I had a little bit of San Diego experience back then because in 1993, I want to say, um, I was in training camp with the Chargers. And so I, I had been in San Diego for maybe eight weeks or so um, as a free agent kicker with the Chargers. And I was 21 or 22 or 23. And hey, I was, let me tell you something. You're being humble. You gave John Carney a run for his money, buddy. Hey, I know that. Hey, listen, I'll tell you this. You know what? That one training camp with John Carney, 18 years later, or now it's more like whatever it is, 25 years later, John Carney mentored my son, Sid, and coached my son. And my son had an insane senior year that we we did not know was coming. And now we're trying to decide where he's going to go play college ball, all because of that relationship with John Carney 20-plus years ago when I first came to San Diego. That is amazing. No, no, I mean, between the story in San Diego with Carney, I knew it then. Back in 98, you had told me that. And then, of course, you know, even the story with Jason Hansen, a guy who went up against in Detroit when uh, you, you tried out for the Lions. So you've got, you got some great stories. But, yes, you, you knew your way of the land just a little, certainly more than me, because uh, in 1998, I'd never been to California at that point. So you were kind of the, uh, the pilot and the navigator at that point. I, I was 28 years old. I was single at the time. Sportsline had gone public, and we had all made money, um, not like millions at our level. More than others, Scott. <laughs> yeah, right. Not, but but that, that's just it. Is like, when we look around at the other names that were part of that whole group, our friend Mike Levy, who was the CEO, Ross Levinson, who now is the publisher for the LA Times, Jason Port, who's gone on to become a very, very successful business guy, in fact, was an early uh, investor in Uber and made an absolute fortune. And I could keep listing names of other guys yeah, that I'd were... Yeah, <laughs> Well, the, those executives <laughs> just, made a shit ton of money. We, oh, I just remember, we, we, we bailed him. I mean, for me at least, I made enough. Uh, at the highest point of that whole deal, Scotty, I made enough to put down a down payment on my house in Boca Raton, Florida, for about $18,000. But, I mean, that was 97. You know, 99, when the Super Bowl was the um, Falcons and the, and, the, um, and the Broncos down in South Florida, I just mentioned a couple of moments ago, uh, that was the time. No, in Atlanta, excuse me, I stand corrected. In Atlanta, you and I went to that one, too, when the Tennessee Titans got stopped at the one-yard line by the Rams. The Rams right. won the Super Bowl. Right. That was the time when um, – MVP.com came out, mm-hmm. and uh, the stock went from like 40 bucks to 80 bucks in like fucking two hours. And you and I are on the air. We can't sell anything because we've got to wait to fax a bullshit form to our broker or something. By the time the show ended, the thing went backwards, and we never made anywhere near the type of money those guys made. But, but you're right, uh, for, for a ton of folks, it was, um, it was two years. Well, they never have to work again. Ever. It's it's really it's really true. Like no bullshit. Like seriously, this is the way it was. We would be on the radio, and the stock market was going crazy. And back then, you would have to fill out a piece of paper, fax it to your broker at Bear Stearns in New York, and That's he right. would then and then he would then sell or make the trade. Well. If the stock opened one day at $50 and it went up to $80, we were on the air and couldn't get off the air to go fax the sales sheet. Sid, I can remember us being in Kansas City. I got to think about what year this was. We were covering the Big 12 basketball tournament, but we were there for a Scott and Sid tour stop, which, as I recall, turned into a disaster. Uh Well, well, they all did, didn't they? That yeah. was part of the beauty. Looking back now, 20 years later, that was part of the beauty. They all did. But, yeah, that was that was fun. 
uh, that was for the Big 12 tournament, Kansas basketball and all that. But I, I remember, right. I remember. Tell us, that was also a big stock day for the company. Right. So I re- exactly. So I, I was in the parking lot, dude, because now at this point I'd gotten married and I was buying a house in Boca and I needed to cash all this money. So I was taking out like, a, I, for me, what was a really a lot of money, as I recall. And I just kept playing it like nickel and diming it. Like, wait till it goes to 55. Wait till it goes to 57. Right, right. Like, because I was so naive. Had I, If I was smart back then, 20 plus years ago, I'd have cashed <laughs> out everything when the shit was at like 50 or 60 well, bucks. Well, and I'd well, have had real money. With that. There were two, first of all, I don't know about you, but I had what was called, and some of your savvy listeners would know this, I had what was called stock options. Mm-hmm. So they never gave me real stock. So while the big bosses in the company, the Ross Levinson's and Mike Levy's had stocks they can sell at any time, I had to wait for my stuff to mature. And it only matured quarterly. So I may have 15,000 uh, options, but only 3,000 were available to sell yeah. at the time. Yeah. And Mike Levy, our fearless leader, kept saying, don't sell it. It's a $100 stock. It's a $100 stock. In the meantime, he was fucking selling it at 60, at 70, at 80, making millions and millions of dollars. But he was telling us, don't sell it because it's going to hit 100. Well, guess what? It never hit 100. And in fact... My next-door neighbor in upstate New York, this guy made 10 times more than Levy ever made because he sold the fucking thing short three years later. <laughs> well, you know what? Three years later, I can remember sitting in my apartment in New York City. You and I at this point had, had left South Florida. We were transferred up to CBS Radio in New York. I had an apartment on the Upper East Side. Shit was falling apart all around us, and I, I'll, I'll ask you what you think. You know, I wonder, as I look back on that now, being a young kid, um, not knowing what we were doing, you were, you know, early into your marriage. I had just gotten married, a transfer from Florida to New York, all your rehab-related problems that that reappeared when we got back to New York. You know, I just wonder if, you know, those stock options and that money we were making at the time and living that life that we were living in the late 90s in Miami, you know, how much that fucked us up. You know what I'm saying? Well, listen, it certainly fucked me up. I, you know, I... I didn't know what I was going to be, Scotty. You know, I mean, you had some, a little bit of celebrity. You know, you played more than a little bit of a celebrity. You played in a big-time college football program. You were a big-time kicker. You had tracks in the National Football League. You had a radio career. You were at WQIM, and here comes Sportsline, and Mike Levy entrusted you, uh, as, as he should have, with a, with a brand-new radio division. So you were, you were well on your way. I mean, me, I was the guy that went down to Florida in 1995 right out of Right out of rehab, I'll never forget. I was in Warnersville, Pennsylvania, Scott, and I had done my 30 days and was having a real tough time. I was married about three years, but my alcohol and cocaine level was going through the roof. And I remember my uh, my counselor saying to me, um, "Well, um, you know what's next?" And I said, "Well, I'm going home. I've been here for 30 days." He said, "You're not going home." I said, "What do you mean?" He said, "Well, you've been doing cocaine and drinking for like 15 years. Do you think that 30 days is gonna is gonna cure you?" And I said, "Well." Probably not. What do, you, what do you mean? Make a long story short, he said, we have to go away to a halfway house and stay away for another couple of months and just go to meetings and continue to keep yourself sober. So he sent me to South Florida. That's how I got down there. And I was working at LNN Seafood and Marshalls, making 60 bucks a week. I had no money. Danielle was in New York. I was alone. I was lonely. I was sad, pondered suicide more than once. And all that was really right before I got a job at Sportsline. And really, less than two years before, Scott, you and I hooked up. So for me, it was just a complete whirlwind. Here I was going from rehab, making about 60 bucks a week and really struggling in every aspect of life to all of a sudden being on the road with you and hanging out with major celebrities from Kevin Costner to Jerry Rice to Joe Namath and being a guy that people like. And to be honest, I didn't know how to fucking handle it. I really didn't. And, and, 
and that made it all the worse years later when, in fact, some of my demons popped up um, twice as bad. You know, man, it's uh, it's interesting we're having this conversation because we've never really had it before, and I don't mean to over-dramatize that for the sake of this podcast, but, um, you, you know, the flip side of everything you're saying was um, I was an enabler in a lot of ways, and I was 26, 27, 28 years old and had no clue how to deal with, you know, instant money, which wasn't huge, but it was more than I was making, and, um, and you know, this kind of fun... Uh, IPO, uh, dot com world that we were living in at that time. And here you were, you know, spiraling essentially to use the terminology. And I didn't fucking know what I was doing. You know what I mean? I, I only look back no, on that and I wish that I. Not, you, that's why I would never consider you an enabler. You know, you weren't a, uh, you weren't a guy that had seen anything like that before you wouldn't use something like that before maybe you had at a very minor level yeah, but, but, but Sydney, i should know, have shouldn't i have shouldn't i have been like dude you you cannot be doing that no no i, I no, there was no way because and you, you got to put yourself back where we were like you and i hey i remember telling the story many many times um your friend he was the uh, program director at wqim god west his soul he's andrew not a man in his 30s yeah. andrew, what was ashwood. His name? andrew ashwood andrew ashwood i remember andrew ashwood going to you when you talked about, you know, you and I becoming bigger and hitting the road and being syndicated, and he said, are you fucking nuts? Get away from that guy. That Brooklyn accent is never going to work. It's right. never going to work. Right. And I remember I used to motherfuck that guy all the time, be like, oh, yeah, you wait. And the truth is, when we landed in Clarksville, Tennessee, or of course, Wisconsin, we were the Beatles, and I was a fucking rock star. They loved me. They loved my Brooklyn accent. They loved my attitude. It couldn't have worked better. Your, your, your friend, uh, who was a nice man, by the way, God rest his soul, couldn't have been more wrong. And you and I were a great team. We were, we were rock stars. We, I remember you saying we were like the Beatles getting <laughs> off the airport in, in Tennessee. So there was no God, I sound like don't a dick. do that, do less of that. We were having the time of our lives. We were ascending. We were important. People like Sean McManus, the president of CBS, knew us, liked us, and thought we had a future. We were making money. We were on 50 markets. So it always ends, you know, listen, you look at these rock and roll bands, Scotty, like Oasis, for example, those two brothers. Um, one brother was a big-time drug user. The other wasn't. They don't talk anymore, by the way. But while it was going on, they were fighting, but they were making money. And they were doing that thing. Same thing with the Black Crows, the Robinson brothers. So you and I were doing our thing, man. And we were young kids, and there's no way in a million years I would ever hold you at all responsible for any of the things that I did to, A, erode the relationship, and, B, make life tougher for me and my family. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a really, there was a couple of years, man, where it was, it was really sketchy, you know, and it was really unfortunate what had happened because I think, and, and again, I think we can go into some more details because I, I said at the beginning I wanted to start here in San Diego and it, it just veered off as I knew it would. But, you know, we were, you got to admit, we were in a great position in New York. When we got there in 98, 99, whatever it was, we were in a perfect spot at the time yeah, no, I, I can't agree with that. I actually think we were set up for failure. Oh, and, no, no. Listen, I'm going to agree with that. What I'm saying is, is that yeah. the opportunity seemed like the perfect opportunity at the time. And it turned out that you're 1,000% right. We were absolutely set up for failure. Keep going. Yeah, I mean, when you looked at the landscape back then, Scotty, uh, it, it, I mean, really, we were really good. We were really good. We were only going to get better. You know, I say this all the time, and I mean this. If you and I did a show today, we'd be, and given the same opportunities, by the way, we'd be major superstars. And I mean that because really we're much better today than we were 20 years. Isn't everybody, no matter what you do, you're going to get a heck of a lot better. 
And I think we both gotten to the point where we're pretty damn good at what we do. But we we were really good back then. We weren't great. Uh, and, and they put us on in mornings in New York City. Don't forget, Howard Stern was still on terrestrial radio. He was not on XM Sirius. So you've got Howard Stern on K-Rock. You've got Don Imus in his prime on WFAN. You've got Scott and Todd in their primes on WPLJ. You had even the, even the, the shitty 50 station had a big-time morning show. And here come these two kids. And we were on in 50 markets. Yes, we were. But for the most part, very small markets, very limited success in, in major cities. Expected three or four years into our careers to, uh, to compete in the greatest city, the toughest city to compete in. Mornings drive, by the way, in New York City at a place that was a complete mess. You know, not the rest of the day they had Opie and Anthony and some big-time shows, but the morning show never had the success, never had the promotion. We had a program director, Jeremy Coleman, who's a nice kid, uh, but had no fucking idea what he was doing. And there was just no way in a million years we were, gonna, we were going to succeed that early in our career in this city against that type of monster talent. Again, all of those guys still in their prime all of them dude i remember jeremy coleman and and, and we can end it because we got many 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 hours of stories otherwise i'm never going to you know get to what i have to do the rest of my life today <laughs> dude dude i remember jeremy coleman here's what happened when we were in florida and we were at sports line we developed a relationship with shaquille o'neal and his organization because sports line was doing producing his website at the time so and he loved you he, he really did love. i mean i remember you doing stuff with him and tiger woods and and I remember him really, like, exclusively going to you for stuff. He really did enjoy being with you. We had a great relationship with Shaq for a while. And um, when Shaq came to New York after the Lakers had won um, his first championship, he was doing a media tour in New York. So we asked Shaq to come to the radio station, and he did. And here's you and me on the air for an hour with Shaquille O'Neal, having the time of our lives. And I remember Jeremy Coleman saying to me afterwards, who the hell is he? What are you doing on the, what are what are you doing with this show? And I'm going, yeah. what do you mean, dude? That that's Shaquille O'Neal. He just won the NBA championship. He's with the Lakers. He he just did the CBS morning show. He's doing the Today show. He gave us an hour fucking around. What what part of this is not good radio? Yeah, you know, I remember that too. Now that you said that, that's right. Um he did get upset about that. Look, the problem with that show was very simple. They didn't know what they wanted. You know, there were there were days when they thought that the stick that you and I were so good at, uh, which we succeeded in down in South Florida, would work. And then there were days where they were like, you know what? No stick. Stern's got stick. I'm his hash stick. Scott and Todd hash stick. Guess what nobody has, including WFAN, a real sports show in the morning. Nobody has that. So screw the stick and let's have Scott to do a real sports show. And the next day they'd be like, well, you know what? I kind of missed the stick. So they never really knew. And by the way, Scott, it wasn't just you and I. Don't forget that quote-unquote sports guy show lasted for a couple of years. And they had a ton of guys do that show, from Craig Carton, most recently arrested here in New York City, to Scott Burrell, to Richard Neer. They had about 30 guys end up doing that show, and they could never figure out, figure out what the hell they wanted from day one. So you and I started it. We gave it the best shot. But the truth is, as, as, uh, with all the shit that you and I went through and all the bullshit that eventually wrecked the show, that I believe the station was equally as responsible for the downfall of that show as was me, or for a lesser part, you. Well, I, I would agree with that, that uh, you definitely were more responsible than me, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I, I told you this before, I, and I mean it. I mean, look, they, they, they were upset with you. Um, I, I didn't want them to get rid of you. I had those talks with Chris Olivero. I really didn't. Uh, they were mad at you because they, they didn't think you listened. You know, they, 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 they said 
listen, we want this from Scott, and Scott wants to be the next Howard Stern or the next this guy or that guy. He's not there. He's not close. And if he doesn't want to do it our way, then he's gone. Um, but the truth is, is that on a daily basis, and I'll admit this, certainly I was the one who was going through all the issues. I, I still don't know to this day why I survived, to be honest with you. I really don't. And why, in fact, a lot of the stuff that was going on with me, with you at the time, became pretty public. And it seems even crazier that less than a year later, Mark Chernoff took a chance and hired me at WFN. I have no idea why all that happened. But I certainly am um, accountable for, for what I did and, and uh, my life. And, and if I could take a lot of that stuff back, believe me, Scott, I, I certainly would. People ask me, and I'll, uh, I'll ask you, people ask me, like, is Sid clean now? And I'm like, I don't know. But I think he is because he seems like he's like the best I've ever seen him in a long, long, long time. Yeah, no, I haven't had a drink. Uh, I mean, drugs are way out of my life. I haven't had a drink in a long time either, and I really don't even uh, have any desire to do it. i, I got to be honest. I, You know, for a long time, I would I would stop and start and stop and start. I'd go to meetings, and I'd lie. You know, I'd be like, oh, I'm sober now. In the meantime, you know, the next night I'd be out at some club having 30 drinks. So mm-hmm. I'm the first to admit that. But, you know, I don't miss it. I don't I don't drink. I don't, I don't miss it. And, um, you know, even my wife... To go and have a glass of wine, maybe two, maybe. But um, but like I said, I turned 50, I'm okay. I don't miss that stuff, and I am clean. It's going to take her at least two drinks to let you do her. <laughs> let me tell you something, bro. And, yeah. I, and I say this, and I mean this, I'm telling you this is the guy's honest truth. Yeah. I have gotten so fucking good in bed, <laughs> I make myself horny talking to you. I've gotten so, I don't know what the fuck happened. Yeah. I don't know if it's the steroids or the rest of the shit. Yeah. My dick is harder now than it was when I was 25. Yeah. Uh, my stamina is intense. Yeah. I am fucking great. Yeah. I'm great. Yeah. Does your wife know about this or what? No, I haven't told her. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I'll tell you, I'm going to give, before we end the podcast, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the, the secret. All your listeners, you want the secret to being a great lover? I'd like to hear this. And to, and, and to make yourself last. The guys out there that, you know, two or three pumps, they're done. Here's what you do. You go home, you sit down and turn on, you go to your, your phone, I should say, you go to xnxx.com. That's xnxx.com. It's the best porn site you'll ever find. It blows away YouTube and all those bullshit sites. Anyway, you sit there and you watch your favorite porn. You get to the point where you're about to climax, and right at the point when you're about to climax, you stop. You just stop. Mm-hmm. Take yourself a good minute, collect your breath, mm-hmm. start all over again. Do that for a good 45 minutes a day, and you'll have more. You, you, you'll never come early again the rest of your life, I promise you. That is called a, that's an exercise. You Right at the point of climax, Scotty, you stop, take a deep breath, come back a minute later, do it all again. And you'll see, you'll be in bed with your wife for an hour, with your girlfriend two hours, and you'll never come. All right, Sydney, um, Alex just walked in to tell me it's time to wrap it up, and he put on the headphones, and he just heard the last 20 seconds, and he's like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Oh, my God. I'm going to listen to this episode. uh, Alex, we're going to play these clips the last 20 seconds on the uh, show tonight, on the actual show with Scott and Billy Wright. Yeah. I'm just going to replay this whole thing at 6 o'clock. Yeah, we should. All right, Sydney, thank you for being being here to talk about this stuff. And, and again, I think it's one of these conversations that's going to go on for a long time because for some reason, we put out last year just podcasts from content on the radio and had over a million downloads. Wow. Yet, by putting out my solo podcast... All of a sudden, all my buddies back on the East Coast are listening, and I think a lot of our old friends that were listening along the ways, the, the days that we were talking about today, I think a lot of these folks are going to pick this up and have fun with it, so we'll have to keep it going, man. Absolutely, and, and you know, put it on Twitter. I'll be happy to retweet it and, 
anytime you want me on, I, I love coming on and talking about the, the good old days. You'll be surprised uh, when, if we do this often how many great times, how many great cities, how many great events, how many incredibly uh, inspiring people and famous people we met along the way. If you really, really sit down, and we'll talk about it hopefully more often, but and think about those three years, it was it was really amazing. It really was. Yeah, so it was. We had a I'm we had a share those memories. Yeah, we, we had a rock star uh, few years there. It was it was a lot of fun, and I, I tell you, there's a movie waiting to be made about it. I can tell you that right now. Well, you're out in L.A., sucker. So get that fucking sucker. I should to get that thing going. <laughs> and by the way, I would like if you can make it happen, Russell Crowe to play me. But Russell Crowe from 15 years ago, yeah. not the fat fuck he is today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, dude. I got to roll. We'll talk to you next time. Hey, I enjoyed this. I love you, pal. Thank okay, you. Okay, you too, man. Love you too, buddy. So there you go. There's Sid Rosenberg. There's There he is a little bit more raw, um, getting me raw. And, man, Alex, I hope you go back and listen to this because we started telling some stories. And I, I, I didn't even want to get into great detail because there is some crazy, gnarly shit that, that, has, that happened over the years. We Just turn me all the way down. There you go. So... There's a lot of crazy shit that happened. And it was a short period of time, but, man, we were we had something going, so it was fun. All right, so that's it. That's it for Episode 3 of the Scott Kaplan Solo Podcast. And um, I got a lot of things I really want to talk about here over the next couple of weeks and months. So stick with us, and we'll, we'll release a new one next week.